Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. started back at the beginning of the school year, the book of Ephesians, and we are still in, uh, matter of fact, next week we'll be back into chapter 2, and uh, we hope to finish it by the summer. We'll see what happens. Um, so I hope you'll journey with us in this wonderful six-chapter book. Uh, this morning I am giving, going to dive in and just talk about 2024. Um, it has the potential for being a pretty wild year. I don't need to tell you that. Um, so I just want us to folks, we're going to take a look at Ephesians, five key passages in the book of Ephesians that talk about a heavenly places perspective for God's people. If there's anything we need right now moving into 2024, it's a restoration and embrace and excitement of a heavenly places perspective, what that looks like uh, to walk in these times right that we're in and the rich blessings that God has for us through his gospel and what Jesus has done in, in building his church. So I'm going to talk about some just kind of big overarching things um, that the book of Ephesians deals deals with. If you've been with us, you know Ephesians written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, but this is the only book that he doesn't use a little c. He uses a big capital C. So this message is for the larger church. It's kind of a big vision, uh, heavenly places perspective that the church is to really lay hold of. So I'm going to dive in on that this morning. Um, for us. Before I do, let me just pray that God would uh, be with us. His spirit would move among us this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your church, your people. Thank you for this new, fresh year. God, we pray prophetically, Lord, according to your word, that your word by your spirit would come alive and, uh, Lord, your church would awaken, rise from the dead, and be the people that Christ shine upon the church to be your people, Lord. And Father, you'd awaken in our hearts this glorious perspective, Lord, that you have for us through your spirit now, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do, Jesus. And Father, I pray you'll bring an encouragement this morning. Um, Lord, as we always say, you know exactly where every one of our hearts is this morning. Pray that you would speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, and move us. Shake us from the inside. Rattle awaken our, our spirit, Lord. This morning, Lord, increase a hunger for your word, Lord, among your people. And Father, I just pray for an excitement, Lord, a new fresh joy, a new fresh love, a new fresh boldness. Uh, Lord, I believe you're opening people's hearts in this crazy, confused world to engage, to ask questions, to dialogue. Lord, may your people awaken to lovingly with great wisdom, be able to engage and, Lord, to model healthy discourse, healthy language, healthy understanding of each other, and, uh, Lord, having great conversation by the leading of your Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles and there's one in the, under the seat in front of you, uh, again, let me just say, I'm a broken record, but I'm going to stay with it. Get back to the paper Bible. Get back to a paper journal. It is the only way that your time in the Word of God and your time with God will be undistracted. And I encourage you to bring it with you and to be people of the Word and uh, not of the electronics. Nothing wrong with using that for study or whatever, but it will distract you from hearing the voice of God. Um, so I encourage you to get back to the paper. There's something, there's a reason why the scriptures that Jesus came at just the right time, right, in history. Uh, and that's a whole nother sermon that we'll talk about it one day. Um, but part of that is the written word and face-to-face communication, undistracted time um, with each other. Book of Ephesians. I'm going to just start us off in chapter um, 5 and... Uh, let's see if I have it up here. There we go. Verses 8 through 18. Folks, I, I, I'm going to give this as wisdom for 2024. I, I hope what we have to get used to is this language of being a prophetic people. I know for some of you that seems foreign. Some of you it seems weird. Yes, there's been abuses with that language, but it is God-given. He longs for his people to be a prophetic people. He encourages to be a prophetic people rooted in the word of God, to be vessels for the word of God, the hope of God. And that word, when it comes 
comes alive, it is to come forth from us prophetically, right, specifically into our time, into certain situations. And uh, that can only happen, right, if we're a people in the word and being led, right, by the spirit of God. And so I'm going to read this in the context of what I believe just the last week or two. I've just been praying, Lord, will set us on a course for 2024, not just us, but our nation, the church in our nation. And I believe this is where he landed um, me. So starting at verse 8. For one time you, church, were um, darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Let me just stop right there. Is what Paul is talking about here, what he's encouraging the church to be is to be that prophetic people, to be that people who bring the light, the truth of God into dark situations. He's not talking about hammering people. He's not talking about judging people. He's talking about bring, focusing on the good, focusing on what is true and right and righteous and light and bringing that into dark situations. I don't know about you, but for me, it's very easy to get drug into a conversation about darkness and everything else that's going on in the world and, and, uh, and just get focused right on, on that. And that is the enemy's work. And folks, as God's people, you know, we're to rise above that, whether we're at a cocktail party, whether we're at family circles, whether you're out with somebody at lunch, whether you're on a ski lift, whatever it is, is it's easy for the conversation to begin with, oh, what is going on in the world and around us and blah, 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 is we're to be people of light. Paul is saying, you carry the light of God. You carry the hope of the world is turn the conversation, bring light into the darkness. And folks, on a deeper level, when the door opens and you're able to engage someone on a soul level is to bring the light of the gospel into that. Go after it, right? Whatever darkness is exposed in their life, when you see what it is that's holding them back, what they're bound to, what is keeping them from experiencing the joy of the Lord, go after it. Bring the light and the truth of the gospel right into that situation. And he says this, therefore it says, and he goes back to the Old Testament, bringing forward a prophetic word, right? That has legs, shall we say, for the future. It says, awake, O sleeper. This is to the church. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Folks, that is my prayer for our church and for the church in America for 2024. More than ever, do we need to awaken, arise from the dead, embrace who we are as the church in this time in history to again understand what the church, the body of Christ, the family of God is all about and to embrace it and move into it and build a healthy foundation for the role that God has for his people today. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Folks, this is so critical, especially moving in to this new year, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. And I'll stop there. Folks, um, there's two kinds of time in the scripture. One is chronos. That's just the time, just, you know, from, uh, that goes, it's like on my clock. It's, it's human perspective of time, of, of how I can just do my to-dos. There's another aspect of time the scripture uses called chronos or kairos. And these are divine moments, divine opportunities. And what Paul is saying here, watch folks. The time is short. The days are evil. And we'll get into that here in just a minute of more of what that looks like. The days are evil. That should be clear. I shouldn't have to break that down. We have an enemy and he is working his best against the plan of God from all creation to tear things down. And we know the Bible's clear where that's heading. And folks, if you have eyes spiritualized to see, it's happening before us right now. The days are evil. In other words, there is spiritual warfare going on for the souls of people and for nations and societies. And it is time for God's people to embrace who they are as a church, the light on the hill, right? To be that loving, bold, and joyful, right? Call to what God is a restoration back to God and what he has for all eternity um, in all of this. 
Uh, and so to embrace these, this idea of time, the days are evil. Make best use of your time. Folks, the time is limited, right? And, and boy, as we know, we can waste time. Can't we? Paul sings, don't waste your time. Is let your time be filled with kindness. Have a, a thirst and a hunger for kairos moments. How I can engage in, bring that light into darkness, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an opportunity, how I can right, be more about encounters right, with God and being partnering with him. That's what he desires for you. He desires to walk with you and not just to bless and to strengthen and bring a life, the life of God inside your soul, but he desires to do that so that you can be what? Streams of living water. So you can be this flow of life and light into the world around you, changing the conversation from the darkness, right? To the light, to the hope of the world, right? Which is, which is Jesus. So with that said, <clears throat> I just... Um, want to take us into five things this morning, as I said, five passages in Ephesians, and just talk a little bit about just kind of culture, the world where we're at, but also focus on right the good news. <clears throat> and hopefully somewhere in all this, something will land in your soul to really grip you. I hope you'll take these. Um, I'm just scratching the surface here, I'm covering a lot of territory. I hope you'll take these things. The book of Ephesians, the five places where it mentions the heavenly places, um, and how important it is for folks for us to regain that perspective. We're a heavenly people. Our citizenship is in the heaven, not here. And we must live that way. And to understand the role of the church in history. Do you realize the church is the bride of Christ? It's his body. It's what he's returning for. All of history is revolved around God building a people. That's what God is primarily concerned about. He's not primarily concerned about the politics and what's going on in the world. That is going to fade and fall away. That is, the scripture says clearly, under the powers of the world and the enemy. We're to be involved and to bring light into those situations. But God, his role, his purpose, and we see in Ephesians, his ultimate purpose to unite all things in heaven and earth again together in Christ Jesus. And the role of the church is critical in that time. And I'll, we'll get to it here in just a minute. But I'm just going to take these five places Right? And I think, boy, if there's ever a time we need to recover a heavenly places perspective, right? getting our mind's eye on what God has done and bring that practically right into the life of the church, it's, it's now. And so with that said, let me dive in for us with this this morning. And uh, I got these up here on the screen. First one is Ephesians 1, 3. And what an amazing, amazing how Paul begins this. We've spent a lot of time on this verse. Um, blessed be the God and Father. Listen to these words, folks. Blessed be the God, the Father. You have a heavenly Father who loves you, who sent his Son after you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's the first use of that under, uh, idea of the heavenlies, Right? Remember, well, if we had time, we go down to verse 10, and God is bringing all together things in heaven and earth together through Christ. But even now, the church, those who are his children know Jesus, he's to open our minds to live with that heavenly realities and the blessings, right, that are there. But uh, we have a heavenly father, folks, who has ultimate eternal good for you. And in times of polarization, they're only going to get worse. In times of hopelessness that is on the rise, is we have to be a people who step back to the root, the foundation of what is true, what is right. Where can we find hope? Where can we find healthy dialogue when there's so much agitation, so much inability to have healthy conversation and on and on and on, which we, we know about. We have to be the people who rise above because we're a heavenly people, because God has redeemed us. He's changed us. He's moved in us. And bring that light, right, into the polarization. Bring that light, right, into the hopelessness. And, and just remember that you have a heavenly father. When things look grim, when things look bad, when, and, and you're thinking about your future and, and everything is, we have to stand back. Faith, God's people says, I stand back. I, we have a heavenly father. He, his desire is to bless us. And later in the book, it says, throughout all the ages, on into eternity, to pour out his blessings upon us. That has to be the foundation that we set our hope on in the midst of increased polarization, in the midst of increased hopelessness. 
Um, <clears throat> and again, I'm not going to spend too much time. If you disagree that those two things are alive and well and on the increase around the world today, um, well, we can have a discussion. But in all places of our world, and it is, when you look back in church history, it is the church just to rise up and even in the midst of all that, to make a stand, to be a joyful people, right? And to bring the love of God. That has to be our center. A heavenly place's perspective is my ultimate hope is rooted in him. He's bringing all things together. I trust in his time and I know he's with me no matter what happens, no matter where the world's going, is that God has his people in his hands, John 10 says, no one. Right, will snatch them out of his hands. Right? And so just a little practical thing. I was thinking about this, and this comes back to a conversation that Derek and I had while we were away um, with um, some people. And uh, uh, boy, it started, this one line just really struck me. Um, one of the, the readings uh, that we were talking about on our little uh, education trip was this idea that how we think about people. And then this whole move of polarization and the, the cancel culture, all the stuff we've been through, um, it was so profound to me. It said, biblically speaking, remember Paul says this, I don't regard anyone according to the flesh any longer. Is I'm to look if the gospel's taken hold of me and saved me and redeemed me as a child, is that to realize every person's created in the image of God. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, everyone is an image bearer. No matter how evil or, or, you know, how much you dislike them, whatever it is, they are created in the image of God. They are an image bearer. And we should, in this idea of, of killing, you know, stepping in with light into polarization, step into relationship that way to realize that's an image bearer of God. That was a beautiful person created in the image of God. And, and Lord, can I be a, a source of light to awaken the fullness of that? Whether they know Jesus yet or whether they don't is to come in and to not to minimize somebody according to um, uh, their beliefs, their, their, what they've done in the past, according to their sin. Sometimes we put people in a little pigeonhole and everybody does it. That's what our polarization is about. We pigeonhole people according to one thing they might post, one thing they might say. And believers need to change our courses. We need to look at the whole person. And we need to engage them, right, with eyes on what God wants to do in their life to redeem them and heal them and bring life alive, right, in them. And not, especially in the churches, to not let an area of sin or disobedience or whatever it is, let us focus on that. We've got to look at the whole person and bring the goodness of God. Does that make sense, gang, what I'm saying here? This is huge. This is the way, honestly, the church can rise up in our culture today and go, wow. And when you engage somebody this way, is you will knock walls down. Now, just another little practical side note is, folks, I'm just going to say it really boldly, is stop your posting. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to win an argument. You're only going to win enemies. You're only going to put a, and, and I'd say stop your political posting, stop especially your Christian posting argument. If you can't get time to get a coffee with somebody and look them in the eye and care about their life, don't waste your stinking time. The church has got to get away from this ugliness um, that's going on is let's get back to, again, Jesus came at just the right time for face-to-face interaction. If it was the way of the Lord, right, is we need to restore that. If you don't have time to get with somebody and give them your life, keep your mouth shut. Just keep it shut. You don't need, the world doesn't need more of your opinion or my opinion out there about a certain issue. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place to engage, but in a healthy format. All I can tell you is, right, and anyone in corporate America would tell you, man, don't do something on email. If it's of serious nature, make it personal, folks. Whether it's for your family or for others, but forget the online debates. Take time to get with somebody. And rather than taking time to do that, guess what? Pray for them. How about that? Take time to lift them before the Lord. Okay? Does that make sense, gang? So it's just a practical thing. Times of polarization and hopelessness. In times of lawlessness and war. Okay. Man, so much here. So I'm just going to start in verse 20. Excuse me, chapter 1. Here we go. That he worked the Father in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks, in time of lawlessness and war, remember who is ultimately king. Remember who every nation will bow their knees before Jesus. Remember Jesus is the head of his church. He's the one that's to run and to be the one that is talked about. He's to be the one that is boasted about. He's to be one who's lifted up in the church. He is the one that is to be mainly focused on, on all media and online things. Folks, if there is any church, if there is any movement that is lifting a man or a woman up more than Jesus, run. Just run. They need to be canceled. Right? Is the church is about Jesus. It's not about building a platform for any person. The only platform that the church is to build is about Jesus. And he is the one that we are to be just testifying about of his glory. And any ministry that goes out, whether it's online, around the world, it needs to be boasting about the Lord. King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the one. He is the ultimate authority for all of the world, especially for his church. And folks, there's obviously this issue of authority is a big, big issue, right? It's a huge issue today in obviously in government and especially in culture and, and even in, sadly in the church today because we have a war going on. And the war today in the church is on this authority. And who is the head of the church? Is it man's ideas? Are we going to move according to culture? And what culture is doing, we're going to adapt uh, the word of God to that? Or do we bow our knees before our Lord? He is the one who set in all time a clear pattern of what pleases the Lord. And we uphold that. Or are we going to go the way of sadly many churches, even in America today, that are questioning the authority of God, questioning the authority of his word? And shifting quickly to put man as the authority and culture as the authority, right, in the world. So, man, as lawlessness increases, and again, I don't have time to take us on a journey on that word. I'd encourage you to do a little New Testament study on lawlessness, but Jesus couldn't be any clearer. Paul couldn't be any clearer, right? As the time comes, lawlessness will increase. I ask you, is lawlessness on the rise in our nation, our culture? It's overshadowing our cities. It's overshadowing our law enforcement, right? It is a huge issue. Lawlessness will increase. And we are just now reaping the, again, if you have eyes to see, the policies that we make are clearly reaping the consequence of now of great lawlessness in the land and around the world. And this is not politics, folks. This is the spiritual realm. And I will get to it in chapter 6. This is a result of ultimately the spiritual realm and the evil and the uh, forces, right? Uh, powers and principalities that we'll talk about here in just a second are influencing what's going on. And that is why lawlessness is taking over. And well, we could spend a lot of time talking about where, why that's important. But Jesus is real clear. As the time comes, lawlessness will rise. And the question for God's people is, are we going to have heavenly places perspective on that and keep our eyes on what God is doing? And that this world is passing away. Man, in all of our technology, all of our efforts, we have not been able to solve the issues of the heart. And we never, ever will. And it's time for the church to rise up and say, no, there is one solution here. There is great news in this. God in his mercy and his amazing grace has provided a way. Has provided a way, right, for all of that. And obviously in time of war, we could talk a lot about that. Um, moving into 2024, who knows, right, where that's going to go. And folks, um, again, man, our eyes is on the, on the throne is that Jesus, if the ultimate thing is him bringing all things in heaven and earth together. And we know he's returning with the armies of heaven to make all things right one day, right? Um, let me just move quickly here. All right, chapter 2, verse 6. Listen to this. This is all these verses. And we are raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. This is what the gospel does. If you know Jesus, this is what his promise for you. He's raised you up into the heavenly place. Now, what does that mean? Well, as we move into Ephesians, we're going to break that down more and more. But so that in the coming ages, he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You have a loving heavenly father. He's got an eternity for you. He wants to lavish his love on you. He wants to pour out all his grace, which is gifts, who he is throughout all eternity. It comes by faith. It's a free gift. There's nothing like it. This is the light we're to bring. This is the hope. This is the goodness, right, of the invitation to come follow Jesus. It's an invite. Come with me. It's the most glorious thing. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Wow. And this is not your own doing. No religion can help. Matter of fact, it can only hurt. So that what? No one boasts, right? It's not a result of works. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is not just humanitarian aid. This word is the same word that Jesus speaks about in John 14, right? Good works, supernatural works that God has prepared, works that are, yes, hand and power. It's not just humanitarian work. Anybody can do that. The good works that God has prepared for you are works that only God can do through you. And there are works that the Sermon on the Mount says, these are good works that when people see and when people experience it, they turn their hearts to the Father in heaven. Right? And we've watered that down much in the church. And so, folks, again, in these times of identity confusion, folks, look what the enemy's done. He's torn out all of what God created for a healthy society. There is no expression in all of history of anything healthy in culture, society, a nation, anything where it is not founded upon God's created process of a family, a healthy family. It cannot exist. It cannot stand. But we're playing crazy experiments. It's nowhere in the scripture. It cannot. And, and so we need to bring this light into this conversation to wake up people's minds to look at the consequences. And there's a better way. There's a restoration back to God's intent, his authority. He's the one who created, not us. This is the temple of God. It's supposed to be. There's a stewardship here. Again, we said all the time, none of us did anything to get this. None of us had anything to do with showing up with life. None of us had anything to do with choosing our parents. None of us had anything to do with our DNA or anything else. We are responsible before the one who created us to come under his authority for what is best for us. And the glory of the gospel is this. It has the power to deliver, heal, transform our entire being. There is no issue. There is no darkness. There is nothing that the gospel is not more than adequate to radically bring transformation into that situation. And as God's people rise up in faith, and the joy of that, and the testimony in our own lives, we're to bring that right into these places of great confusion. Confusion births fear. And these are on the rise right today. And if you're confused about who you are, at the core of your being, about who you are, why you're here, whether you're loved, is you will live in fear. It will control you. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. That's exactly what we'll get to chapter two next week. Um, tough stuff as far as without the Lord, where we're at, right? And so focus, let the gospel be central to all the good news of what we do and to realize in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all the fear, right? We have something solid to stand upon and to bring in a loving way into a discussion with someone, remember, over coffee, face-to-face, not just a banter, not with something, um, not just with a, a, a simple little scripture or a simple good word, is let the Spirit of God love through you the Word of God to someone in a relational way, right? Not in a debate way, right? There's a place for debate. All right, I'm going to move on here. Times of scandal and falling away. Remember the church is Christ's body and his bride representing the kingdom of heaven on earth. To me, chapter 3 verse 10 is one of the most mysterious, glorious. I've been probably meditating on this one verse more than any verse for the last couple of years. 
just because there's just something here that I believe that God wants to unearth and recover among his people in the church. And uh, again, I'll have time to go for the whole context. We'll get there in the weeks ahead. But verse 10 says, so that through the church, Paul says, the manifold wisdom of God might now in this time be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. That specifically, those rulers and authorities are the evil rulers and authorities. We'll deal with it in the next chapter in just a minute. In the heavenly places. And so, folks, what we have to realize, we are in the time of the church, the times of the Gentiles. We're in the age of history of the church, right? The Old Testament tells us up until John the Baptist, who made the way, the transition from the old covenant, uh, God working through Israel, birthing a Messiah, bringing the good news to the nations, to, um, to Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the highlight of God's redemptive history of coming after us, saving us, creating a family, a people for himself. He sends Jesus right after us to save us and to what? to baptize us, to put us into his body, to make us part of his family. And what Paul is saying now in this time, no longer through the prophetic witness of Israel, in this time we live in the times of the Gentiles, we live in the time right, of the church and God is working primarily through his church that, that all nations right, would hear um, the good news of God um, in this time. Now the, time, the next time to come is the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30. And when we see Israel, things bubbling there again, we need to realize the time is close. The times of Gentiles will come to a close. And we'll move into times of Jacob's trouble, which is, you've heard of the tribulation and these other things, right? We'll talk more about that stuff later. But um, in this, folks, realize a recovery, the glory of the church. And look what the enemy's done in our culture and around the world, right? Look what he did through COVID and not just COVID, but it was happening long before that. That's just exacerbated this apathy, this, this, this lie that I can be a follower of Christ and not be intimately connected to his body, um, which is a lie. You'll find it nowhere in their scripture. This idea that I can, again, it's this high, um, highly Western individualism. I can do my own thing. I don't need anybody else. Uh, and and the, the destruction. So in times of scandal and falling away, and folks, right now, we are in the times of the greatest falling away from the faith of people who've been in church. Doesn't matter old, uh, older age, younger age, people who've been in church, people who've walked, quote, as saying they're a believer and who are leaving the faith, falling away. And Jesus, again, this should not be shocking. Just read Matthew 24. He says it's coming. There will be a great falling away. And we're in the middle of that right now, at least as a nation. And, um, and folks, this is serious. I plead with you with all my heart. You don't dabble with this. To step outside of God's body, you are setting yourself under the enemy's control, period, plain and simple. And your faith will be under attack, and it's a slow move. It's a slow drift away from needing one another, understanding. I was saved. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a part of his body. There is no separation of those two things. And folks, we're reaping the consequence of that falling away right now. And I would say, here's where we have to lovingly, boldly step into people's lives and say, brother, sister, the scripture talks about saving them from fire, snatching them away, right, from the enemy and restoring them to the body and to a humble, submissive authority under Jesus and his church. Not this highly independent, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I got my religion down. I'm going to just do what I want to with my life. How's that going to work for you? How's that going to work for you? I can promise how it's going to work. You're going to maybe get all the riches of the world that are just going to distract you that much more. You will miss the promises of God. And it is tragic what is happening. I have personal friends. I'm, I'm in personal grief over some of this with certain people I've journeyed with. I would have never in my wildest imagination see fall away. And that fall, once that takes place, it is a dark dive into ugly, ugly bondage. Firstly, in the spiritual realm, in times of scandal, folks, oh my gosh, again, people that I have worked for, that I have done ministry with, that I have known, who, who are just like, what? Scandal, immoral fallings of spiritual leaders, improprieties in the church has got on the list of things. It's on the rise. Well, it seems like a week doesn't go by where I hear about somebody. I'm like, I can't believe it. 
And folks, Jesus, this is nothing new. Jesus, Jesus said there will be false ones rise. So much so that they, in doing even works that we think are amazing, who will lead even the elect astray. In other words, you're, it's like, wow, that, that they, I thought they were really great. And what does that mean for us? Is to understand the times we're in and to stand firm. And folks, I just plead with you, there's no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. But you need to find a church that stands on the word of God and doesn't budge from it and who stands on the authority of God and takes the hits no matter what culture is saying, no matter what is said, they're standing with God and his word. And it's a church that loves one another. It's a church that's humble. It's a church that we need one another. Um, it's a church where leaders are humble enough to say, ah, we need each other. We need the accountability. We need to, there's no platform for people. It's exalting, pushing people on in their gifts, being the body that needs each other's gifts and to be connected and serving one another. Um, we need a restoration of the glory of the church. And, and bigger than that, folks, is to understand this passage, again, is now. What does that mean? Now in the church is, is the manifold wisdom of God is made known into the spiritual realm is because the kingdom of God is to show itself alive in the midst of God's people now. Not Israel, but in the church all around the world. And what do I mean by that? That what Jesus, he came to inaugurate the kingdom. The power of God among God's people. A little taste of heaven, of how people love one another, serve one another, submit to one another. Um, how the transforming gospel transforms marriages and transforms this, where there's healing and transformation of people's souls, on and on and on. The expression of new life. A couple weeks ago, seeing these folks go under the water here and come out and give testimony of, of God's work in their life. This is the church of God on fire. And, and it, the church is going to be held responsible for this time of whether we are true to the mission of God in this time or not. The church, folks, is blessed. It's his body. We need a restoration of the glory. And I plead with you. I know there's scandals. I know some of you have been abused. I know some of you have had terrible experiences in church. But I plead with you, do not let that and the enemy take you to an unhealthy place. Find a church, plug in, serve there, lock arms. And we ask here, we're keeping it simple, folks, as a church. We're doing the two things best we can to obey God's great commission. Be a people, break up into smaller groups, break bread together, push on and encourage one another. Step into discipleship. We can't grow unless we move into discipleship. A small group of men, a small group of women pushing each other, learning from somebody else. What does it mean? How do I follow Jesus? How do I take hold of this abundant life? And we ask you, come journey with us. Take that step out of the big group into a smaller group. Become a follower of Jesus and get a glorious vision of the power of his church. That's what he's coming back for, the bride, the glorious bride. And will the bride be ready? My primary, as leaders, elders, leaders in the church, our primary task is to prepare the bride. Holy, beautiful offering to our Savior when he returns. That's it. That's it. And we're just invite people to join us, right, on that glorious journey. All right. Last one. Times of deception and tech idolatry. I'll break that down. Remember, we are in a spiritual war. So stay close as a family of God and armor up with the resources that God has. All right. Chapter 6. Folks, we need a heavenly places perspective. You've heard about the armor of God. You've heard about spiritual warfare. But you know the church in America does not live daily like you have an enemy who's ready to rip your soul out of your being. That's the reality. And to have this soul empty and alone is to realize you and everyone else is under, as we'll get back to chapter 2 next week, right? Under the power of the enemy. He's after souls. There's a spiritual battle going, and that's the real battle. And to just to think you can go nonchalantly through life and that your depression, your anxiety, or your pride, or what, greed, or whatever it is, is just something that you can control. I'm telling you, you're not alone. Your soul is not alone. 
There are evil forces in the culture and mainly in people's lives. How can people be so evil? It's very simple. It's not just our flesh. We can do some ugly things, but the level of evil we've seen in history is only explained by one thing. It's when the evil one himself takes hold of someone and really magnifies evil in this world. And so we need to wake up and we need to not stop, you know, kidding around like, oh, can't talk about a devil. There's a real devil, folks. He's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's got a whole minion of demons who put people under bondage. We need to get back to realize people need deliverance. The mental health, all these other things, it's not just chemistry. It's spiritual. And I challenge anyone to find any exception in the Bible where Jesus didn't deal with it in the spiritual realm. And until the church rises up to realize we're in a spiritual battle and we need spiritual resources to help set people free, we will never be the church that Jesus wants us to be. We're in a spiritual battle. And he's after your family. He's after your marriage. Oh, he'll make you comfortable. He loves that. He loves it more than anything because if you're comfortable, you don't have to seek God. And the enemy could sneak in and put bondage after bondage and we grow and we grow. We get to a certain age and we realize we've got a void of our soul. And the enemy's gotten in and he's got bondage there. He's got darkness there. Man, the gospel, folks, it is powerful. And the gospel, all the armor of God is, is arming yourself with the incredible blessings of the gospel. And to live under that. And to realize is you have no reason to fear if you have Jesus and the spirit of God in you. Oh, but you need to be well alert. The enemy's after you. And if you get laxed, if I get laxed in the gospel centeredness of my life, I expose myself, even as a believer, to the enemy's tactics. And so, folks, in our times of deception, again, I could, I could take forever this morning to talk about the deception going on today. On all sides, by the way. The enemy's at work. He's the great deceiver. He's the father of lies. And all the lies that are going on throughout human philosophy and everything, it ultimately has its root in the father of lies. He is about deceiving people, keeping people blind, right? And the scripture even says that. He's the one who's blinded the eyes of the unbeliever so they can't see the true light. Deception, folks. How are we going to stand and have wisdom to see through to that deception? Well, it's only the gospel. It's only we have a heavenly place of perspective. Holy Spirit, I need wisdom. I need, to, I need to see. Before you just jump on a bandwagon on some side, whether it's a political side or uh, you know, ideology or whatever it is, is we need to first take time and come before God and say, Lord, Spirit, you give me wisdom. What does your word have to say about this? I want to line up with you. But folks, I know for my own self, I'm quickly, I think I know the answer and I quickly jump to a side and defend something without taking the time, right, to deal with the Spirit of God and the Word of God to refine it. Is that right, God? Is this the right thing to understand, right? Um, Folks, uh, as we move into this, the power of discipleship and spiritual formation is to understand, and I ask you this morning, do you understand the difference between your spirit and the Holy Spirit? Do you know the difference between just you coming up with a good idea about a decision you need to make or something versus what the Holy Spirit is saying. Folks, this is intimate territory to be led by the Spirit of God and to understand your spirit is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's come, if you know Jesus, into your life and awakened your spirit to have fellowship with God. And now I have to learn to submit my spirit to the Holy Spirit to inform my mind and my emotions and my will, my decision-making. And folks, that just doesn't happen. That, that is disciples. That is digging into the word of God, praying with each other, pushing one another on, right? To listen, to hear the voice of God. And in these times, folks, it's absolutely uh, critical. Um, the two things I think, folks, that are killing our culture, there's just such great deception is the lawlessness and the tech idolatry. We don't need to upgrade. We need to be saved. Any of you into the AI and studying everything, where things are going, and the whole medical world, we live in a place here where right, there is underneath our culture in Aspen, because of the wealth, because of the affluence and the intellect, is that we are on the fast track for the fountain of youth, right? We're on the fast track for the fountain of youth. And I would say without any ethical basis... I mean, this is what should be a wake-up call for us is the whole AI discussion and this, this taking place and the things that are being run. We have no idea as a nation 
how to ethically determine whether this, you know, tech adjustment to my body is going to be good or not. And folks, this takes great, great wisdom, right, in our life. We need salvation. I don't need a tech upgrade. And we just have to keep priorities, right, on that as as we move forward. So in in conclusion, let me just share something with you here. Um, How many of you ever read The Brave New World? Maybe back in high school, (laughs) well, some of us old folks. Unfortunately, we don't read books like this in high school anymore. We we read a bunch of wasted crap, but that's a whole other discussion. So um, this is written by Aldous Huxley. Now, he was an atheist. This is the amazing part about this. He wrote this in 1931. Let me read. This is stepping into the story. All right, let me just set the stage. John the Savage. I love that name. John the Savage is in his book, his novel, is the only one who is still born of a woman, a natural person. He read the, he went back and he was like old fashioned. He read the old classics. He's the one that embraced all the old stuff. And he, he, want, he, they, he saw him in, I have to believe that Huxley, uh, he had some Christian background. I have to believe he called him John the Savage, thinking about John the Baptist living in the wilderness, right? Okay, and this is what John says. He says, it is natural to believe in God when you're alone, quite alone, in the night thinking about death. Now, listen here. Now, this is Musafa Mond. Love that name. And he was one of the 10 world leaders. He's a dictator. He's a controller, right? He says, oh, but people never are alone now, said Mustafa Mond. We make them hate solitude and we arrange their lives so that it's almost impossible for them to have it. That was written in 1931. Folks, I hope that hits you square between the eyes. The world, the enemy, will do everything it can. Thank goodness I don't have my phone, but somebody left the phone up here, right here. Will do everything they can do to keep you from solitude. When you get alone with God, do not have any technology close to you. Be alone with God in his word. Is this is the enemy's work, and this is why that nobody, nobody's seeking God today, because guess what? They never have to get alone with God. They just fill it up. And, 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 it, and he's an atheist who wrote this and said that the world's powers to be, they know the best thing they can do is fill your time up. Just get you following all these stupid people on, on social media and everything else. It's pathetic, folks. Stop it. Let your soul come alive. Get a part of something really exciting, right? Save your soul and help save others. Because without extended time alone, we never hear from God. We never are drawn to him. We're just distracted people. And for those who claim to be believers, man, the level, we wonder why we never really advance. I have one new thing, because I've I just seen it in my own life, is if you're struggling with walking with God, hearing from God, I ask you how much time you're spending with God alone. How much time you're spending in his word and in prayer. And when you can tell me you spend over an hour a day doing that with no distractions, now we'll have a conversation. Now we'll have a conversation. Our young people are dying. They're turned into little robots. In higher education, they're sucked dry with stupid stuff rather than classics and things they should be reading on, especially the word of God, something that will bless their soul, right? So I just, in closing, Derek, y'all come on up. I, I just, I plead with you folks, get along with God. Now I'm gonna put a twist in here. It's also when we're alone with God in the wilderness that we have our greatest time of temptation. Jesus modeled both of these. He modeled all through the scripture that he would always get alone with the Father. All night sometimes. People wonder how Jesus in his humanity was able to do what he did because he was with the Father. How do we know Jesus knew this was the will of the Father, this blind person's eyes to be healed? Because he was with the Father. But here's the deal. It's two times. Jesus, when he began his ministry, he was taken to the wilderness for 40 days. And what was that all about? He was, is the, the only people we have there is Jesus and Satan. He was left alone. Not really, but he sure felt alone. You ever felt alone? You ever felt like God's not with you? You ever felt like you're in a dark, ugly place and you just had no sense of God? Guess what? Our Lord has gone to the nth degree beyond what you could ever experience in loneliness. And he stood on the word of God in that time in the midst of that temptation. The other time was Gethsemane. 
Jesus took the guys to pray before he was going to the cross and he went further to be what? Alone with the Father, right? So that, and he pleaded, Lord, take this cup from me, right? Dark tempted. The enemy was there. Just no, right? And so folks, I just give you this. This is so important, right? To understand is that time alone with God, that's the time the enemy is going to come and beat you up. If, there's un- if there are things that are not submitted to the word of God, you're going to get beat up. You're not going to have peace in that place. The enemy is going to do everything he can do to keep you from being at peace and rejoice in the presence of God. He's going to come and attack in that time alone. And folks, I don't know how many of you went to this, this deal they had in the Wheeler uh, uh, come maybe a month or so ago about uh, mental health. But one of the things that just really I, I took away from that was this line that said, people come to the mountains. He's talking about the, the problem of mental illness, especially in ski towns. They come to the mountains, right, to get away from the, the busyness and everything. It's coming to, to get alone and to hike in the woods and to free their soul and everything. And they said, what happens is they come and they get alone. They realize they're alone. That they brought all of their soul problems with them. And that lonely time of being out in the wilderness gets a hold of them. And it's death and it's darkness. And folks, that's it. There it is. We have the answer for that. It's spiritual warfare. And we have the answer, the glorious answer of the gospel. And so I just ask you this 2024, press in. Press in. If you're here just for a season, press in with us to a group into this opposite. Let's wrestle this stuff out and be God's people, right? For 2024 and, and beyond. So just as we prepare to come to the table um, this morning, I just ask you, just take a moment here um, just to circle up with your family, your, your spouse, your children. Um, you can stand right where you're at or move around, whatever, or get with a friend if you're here alone. Is look around and come grab somebody or just be alone if you want to. But before you come to the table, I ask you just to come together and, and just pray for each other. Pray for 2024. Play and just... Let the Lord bring a blessing through you, right? To pray over your, your family, your spouse, your friend, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and as a group, come to the table. This is a fellowship table. Rejoice in the gospel of what God has done. And let's celebrate as we come to the table, right? As, as a whole people. Sound good? So, Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. We lift up this year to you. May we be a people, Father, who are faithful. Faithful, Lord. May your spirit move in this place. We want to honor you and you above all things, Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, our Savior. Lord, we want to boast about you. Lift up your name. And as we come to this table, Lord, ah, overwhelm us with your love and your grace and your mercy and thanksgiving for what you've done. And Father, if there's anyone in here, they don't know you, Holy Spirit, crash into their soul this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.